In the movie Gladiator, Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, looked at Maximus, who was general in the Roman army, and he talked to Maximus about, when I die, I want you to become the leader of the Roman world. Remember what Maximus said? He says, I don't want to. And that's when the Roman emperor said to him, that's why it must be you. You see, leadership is not something that someone desires to do just to have control. Being a leader is not someone who has a whip in one hand and a gun in the other telling everyone the way that it should be. A leader is not someone who is there because they simply have a certain amount of money. What we're going to look at this morning is the question, and this is going to be really good because it's a Baptist church, and the question is, who runs the church? Everybody's still civil, so I guess I can say it again. The question today is, who runs the church? What is a leader? And if you look on your worship guide, we have a definition there. This is the main thrust of today's text from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. And here it is. Let's read this together, actually. Got it? Here we go. God gave leaders to lead the church, and leadership requires spiritual maturity. Now, if we were to open up this as a dialogue and kind of set up some microphones and I ask the questions, how many of you guys have come out of a bad church experience? We will probably be here till late at night. A lot of times people like they hear the gospel and they're like, man, I know that I need God in my life. Like, I messed up. Jesus is Lord. I need to be saved. So, so, so they begin to get involved in a local church. And what they find out a few months later is that not everyone in church is about what Jesus said the main thing actually is. And you take this, like this guy who, who's never really read his Bible and he gets saved and he comes to church and he, and then he begins to see like this drama take place. You guys know what I'm talking about with church drama? He sees like this group over here and they're like in their huddle. You're like, okay, take over the church on three. Break! You've been there? And then you've got like all these factions that are like working against each other and it's really like kindergarten on steroids with Bibles that nobody ever reads. And then what happens is you like get this, you get things called committees. I'm serious. And you get people on committees. And by the way, you will not find that anywhere in the text of Scripture. Remember, remember when I came the first day? You guys remember that? Long time ago, some of you guys were like, who is this guy? And somebody needs to get him on Ridland. I mean, it was, it was awesome. Uh, and so remember the, the, the section that we had after the church? Somebody asked me the question or we brought it up. You know, how, what is biblical church? And the word there is polity. Like, how is the church to be structured? And I said that the church should be led by spiritual leaders. We're going to break what they, that means. We're going to break that down. What it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that we get these people who think that they're better than everybody else. And because they've had the big, huge black Bible for 40 years, that means that they get to tell everybody else what to do because they've not been in the church for that long. It's not biblical leadership. But we're going to see from this text of Scripture, and this is awesome. 
Uh, if you don't have your Bible, we should have some there in the pews, so feel free. Um, and if you're new to this, you can turn in the first part, and it will actually show you the books of the Bible and what page they're on. So we're going to be in Ephesians, and you can look and, and find the page corresponding to that. And listen... If you're new to this, don't feel bad that you can't automatically turn to the book of Leviticus and cite the the dietary law, all right? This is where we're all coming at different stages to learn the same thing and that Jesus is Lord. Can we agree on that? All right, that's the main thing. Like, Jesus is all about it. We're all about Jesus, and we're at different levels, and that's totally fine, given one exception. That no matter how long we've been saved, we come to the text of the Bible and we say, Lord, I need you to speak truth into my life. And not come with the mentality, well, God, I've been coming here for 80 years and I think I pretty well got this thing figured out. If that's your perspective, you don't know. In the Greek, it's called, you don't know, jack squat. And I mean that. Because honestly, I'm tired of here. I've talked to friends in ministry all the time. And I'm tired of seeing, check this out, people who more than likely have never been truly saved in the church hijack a local church and begin to twist it and make it like this egocentric, maniacal, power-grabbing fiasco. And then you've got these young families, these people who are getting saved and coming out of drugs and their marriage might have been saved by the gospel. And they come and they're like, bro, if this is Christianity... I don't want anything to do with it because my life before Jesus was less jacked up than you guys are as a group. So peace out. Some of you guys are smiling. This is going to be fun. Let's just jump into the text here. Verse number seven. I mean, this is either going to be really fun or I'm going to get a lot of phone calls this week or emails now that we've got that set up. Thanks to Matt. So verse seven, here we go. But grace, this is what the Bible says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So what we have going on here is a very simple fact. And here it is. And it's in your outline. Spiritual gifts come from God. Now, notice what it says there in verse seven. But grace was given to some of us. Is that what the text says? What's it say? Grace was given to each one of us, literally to everybody. That means that if you have genuinely been saved, then God has gifted you in some way to serve him. God has never saved a person be like, all right, you're on the bench. No, sit down. Yeah, it never. It's not like, you know, like the, the teams that we played on. If you're really good, you got to play in the game, right? Like they're really cool people. And if you're not, you, no. Jesus has gifted every person. If you're here today and you've truly been saved, I want to tell you from the text of Scripture, from the Bible, that God has given you spiritual gifts to serve the local church. And the reason why a lot of people, like they come, like they come and they hear messages and they're just like cantankerous, you know, and they're like mean and they're just like mad at the world and they're like, like that's the only noise that they make. Like there's not amen or like, you know, praise God. It's just like, like guttural noises. The reason why it's very possible is some people get so little joy in their life. It's probably because, there's multi-factors here. It's probably because they've never actually stepped out and begun to serve the Lord. Because what happens when you take in and you take in and you take in and you take in and you never get out? It's a case of spiritual constipation. Are we okay? That's what happens. 
And in order to be filled with joy, get involved in serving. If you're like, dude, I don't know, Jeff, I, I just said dude. Y'all okay? It's like, Jeff, I do not know what my spiritual gift is. Come talk to some of us. We can give you ways that you can serve the Lord. Let's say, you know, you guys ever heard that? It's more blessed to what? To, to, to give than it is to receive Right. And our, like our kids and our students are like, no way, dude, I think I'm getting an Xbox because I opened it. You know, my mom doesn't see that's going to be awesome. But seriously, when you give, when you give, when you serve, go to children's home or, or help out in the nursery or, or do some ministry, witness to your friend at work, invite someone to church, do something for Christ, give out a tract. It is something that you can't really explain, which is if we were to go back to chapter three, I think that's what it talks about when it's a piece that that, that surpasses, right? Like all understanding that when we serve Christ, he gives us joy. So not only are spiritual gifts from God, but there in verse eight and uh, 10, eight through 10, we see that spiritual victory is from God. Now notice this, this quote there in verse eight. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This is actually a quote from Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying that this is about Jesus. All right, so if he led away captives, then, then who would the captives be? If you don't jot this down, this is another reference that will help. Judges chapter 5, verse 12 in the Old Testament. Here's what the text says. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, break out in a song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. But you're like, Jeff, that has got to be the strangest verse in the Bible. Well, notice the phrase there, lead away your captives. What had happened here is that Barak was the leader of the armies of Israel. But he was too afraid to go into battle. And I want, I can't, like in heaven, you know, you think about these people you can meet. Like, how cool would it be to meet Deborah? This is what the commander of the armies of Israel said. He said, Deborah, I won't go unless you go with me. Like, how awesome of a, like, Xena warrior biblical princess do you have to be for the commander to be like, we're going to face this army and I'm only going to go if you're with me. Like, I could just imagine Deborah's kids Telling all the other kids, my mom can whip your dad. I mean, can you imagine? She was awesome. And God used a lady in a warrior as princess type of role to bring victory to Israel. I mean, can you imagine her husband? You could pick a fight with any man in town. Say that to my wife's face, you know, and she could like, she could kill them all, you know? And so this is an incredible picture that when she led away captives, it meant that she was a victorious warrior s say, okay, well, Jeff, how does that relate to Christ? When it says that he led away captives, this is an incredible insight from the scripture. It's talking about him leading away captive demonic forces. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says, And Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, talks about the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 6, which we'll get to in several months, says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, I just want to give you like guys a little precursor here. In our series, when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we're actually going to talk on Sunday morning about demonic possession, about demonization. 
when people are affected by demons. And there's going to be some stuff that, that I have actually... Um, anyway, I don't want to give you too much preview. It's going to be awesome, not for like the whoa factor, but the factor, listen, that Jesus Christ through His death on the cross, and through rising again from the dead, He defeated every evil power that can be imagined. Isn't that awesome? We serve Christ. And some of you are like, okay, Jeff, that's a little bit sci-fi-ish. Maybe David might talk about it next week, but we are all, as it's been called, children of the Enlightenment, meaning that we look at things from a very logical, scientific worldview, and there are things that happen in the world, in areas of the world, that are literally dedicated to Satan, places like Haiti or certain areas in India to where the Hindus believe that that idol right there is not a representation of the demonic spirit, but the demonic spirit lives in the idol. There are places around the world that are steeped in demon worship, in Satan worship. And what happens is that when people give that type of control to ungodly spiritual forces, this is what happens. This is hard for us as Westerners to understand. Satan has like this presence there that only can be broken through the gospel. i got to move on because I'll begin to preach on that. The point here very clearly is that spiritual victory comes from Christ. You could be here to say, Jeff... I've never had the, um, I've never been tempted to like sacrifice my neighbor's dog. Just maybe the cat, you know, but I mean, like I've never, Jeff, that's never been something that I've struggled with. I've never thought, okay, am I going to go to church or am I going to find the local chapter of the church of Satan? Like that's never been a struggle for me. Never. But here's where a lot of us get tied up. We get hung up by things that are like leeches in our life. Habits that we know that don't glorify Christ. Have you asked God to deliver you from that habit? Spiritual victory comes from Christ. And what Satan will do is he will try to beat you down because of that habit and tell you because of this, you don't deserve the love of Christ. And you know what our answer is in response? You're exactly right. Because even if I never took another whatever it may be, even if I never did this or never did that, for the rest of my life, I am still a sinner and it's only because of the grace of God. So Satan, you're right that I'm a sinner and I don't deserve God's, ju- God's love and His mercy. But because He is love, He chose to love me anyway. That's the gospel. So notice there in verse 9, it's talking about the ascension. Here's what's going on in verse 9. It says, and in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. All right. Here's what's happening. The incarnation, that's a big word for God sent his son to come in human flesh. Jesus came into the world as a person. Not as a spirit form, but as a person. Um, where, have you ever thought about where you'd like to go visit? Take a vacation? Like places around the world? Like, I know, some, somebody's here like, I want to go to London. You know, and the, some of the shoppers are like, well, I, I want to go to New York City. Some people are like, I want to go to Long Beach, California, or Melbourne, Melbourne Beach, Florida, or, or I want to go to Europe. I want to go to Norway, right, and see the fjords and see the, the beauty there. 
And some of the hunters are like, I want to go to Alaska and kill something really big that could kill me in return. You know, and we think about all of these places we'd like to go. You know, places like Ferrum, Virginia, and, and, and the height of culture, Indicott. You know, I mean, you're like, places, man, I want to go visit. I want to go there. I want to be a part of that because it is going to be awesome. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go wherever it may be. Like, think of those places in your mind. You're like, man, that would be so awesome. And you think of other places, like, I don't know if there's anybody in here who would um, say, you know, Jeff, me and my, my wife, kids, were thinking about for our, for our summer vacation going over to uh, Waziristan, you know, the border region between Afghanistan and Pakistan where, you know, the, the um, you know, Al-Qaeda and things of that, you know, groups like that. We thought we'd just go over there and hang out, you know, maybe get a little training or something like that and, you know, talk about our feelings and see if we could get a support group going on, maybe drink a few lemonades. You're like, uh, no. I don't know if very many people would say, you know what, right now I want to go to Juarez, Mexico. Drive-bys, I just love the sound of it. Kind of helps you go to sleep at night. I don't know of anybody who say, you know what, for this spring break, I'm going to Chernobyl, Ukraine, baby. That nuclear meltdown, we're going to go and it's going to be really cool. I want to go to Haiti. I've never had cholera and I think that would be awesome. I want to just go there and hang out. Not the help. I just want to go. And there's awkward silence in the room right now. What's the difference? The first class of places promises things that we see as enjoyable. The other class of places basically promises death and disease. And the Bible says here in verse 9 and verse 10 that Jesus descended to the lower parts of the earth. It speaks that Jesus came from the presence of God and He came to this place that we call earth. And He came into a hellhole time in history to where the Romans would basically tell people, you will have the Pax Romana, you will have the Roman peace if you listen. But if not, we'll crucify you. We'll strip you naked and we'll rip your, the skin off of your body and nail you up on crosses and let basically crows peck you to death. And we're going to leave you up there and we won't even bury you. Your bodies will line the highway if you're a bad person. He came into that. And he came into that situation to save people like us. And the, the thrust here for believers is the question, okay, if Jesus came from heaven to earth, then are there things that I'm not willing to do because I see them as degrading? So I'll serve Christ, but I won't fill in the blank. I'll go to church on Sunday morning, but, but, but that's just... By the way, do you come here to get a soothing for your conscience? Or do you come because your heart is inclined to learn about Christ? Do you love Christ? We talked in just a couple of minutes about my job as a pastor is to teach you. The question, if we had stuff, different nights of the week, or, or if we had you know, extended sessions, would you, would you come? Because we can, check it out, we can make things more interesting. Dude, I, I could use props every week. We could, man, we could, we could have like, like flash and bang show, but if your heart is not inclined towards Christ, if it's just a cultural thing that you do because you do that because your grandfather did that, your great-grandfather did that, and because, you know, when, when he made the moonshine, you know, I mean, it, all of that comes together, no matter what it is, do you come to church because you love Christ? Do you become just because you come? It goes back to the heart. You see also there in, in verse 9, it talks about he descended, right? Like he came and then he, he ascended. He went back to heaven. So the illustration of Jesus coming to this earth ought to motivate those of us who claim to follow him and asking ourselves the question, if Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he humbled himself. 
then are there areas in my life that I'm not prepared to go for the name of Jesus? And the ascension proves God's power there in your notes. It proves God's power. And the fact that Jesus could come and live like on this earth, he lived. And by the way, what happened between the years of Jesus' 12th birthday and his 30th when he began his ministry? Here's what happened. He experienced the whole of the human experience. He grew up with brothers and sisters. Can I get a witness in the house? Older brothers and sisters, you've got those younger ones. And it's like their express purpose in life is to make you lose your sanity. They just keep on and keep on and keep on. Jesus had little brothers and sisters, and yet he was without sin. I can imagine, by the way, being Jesus' brother, you know, half brother or sister, and, and like Mary and, and Joseph saying, I wish you'd just be more like Jesus. Come on, you know, like it would be very difficult to do. But Jesus grew up and he had, like he worked with his hands, no power tools. He worked with his hands as the job of a carpenter. He sweated. Jesus felt pain. He went through the way that the human body develops from 18 to 30. He went through all of that. God choosing to subject himself to the human experience. Isn't that an amazing thing? But what I think, you know, looking back on my life, my, my immaturity, me saying, you know, God, well, I'll follow you in this area, but as for that, I won't, do, I won't go there. I can't do that. And by the way, whenever God brings something into your mind to say you could serve for him, and the thought comes to your mind, like, dude, I, Jeff, I can't do that. Guess what? That's the first step. That's the first step. Because if you serve Christ out of your own ability, you will burn out. You will burn out. You will toast out. It'll be like call the fire department. You will burn out because you and I only have a certain amount of like like emotional, uh, physical, mental energy. But when we yield our lives to Christ and we say, man, if, if he ascended, man, that, that means that he descended. If he descended, he loves me. And not only did he love me, but he had the love that had the power to conquer the grave so that he could ascend back to heaven. And he's there today. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24, uh, building off of this phrase there at the end of verse 10. Check it out. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Whoa. You guys catch that? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? That means that if there's a a cave-in of a mine in Chile, then God can hear those guys' prayers. Amen? That's pretty awesome. And if the guy is up in a, uh, go back to old school music, in a rocket ship, like he's, he's, in a, he's in a spaceship, like outside of like 5% of you guys caught that. I Go back further, right? Bob Wills? All right, cool. So like they're outside the orbit of the earth and God could hear somebody on a space station and they could get saved there. Isn't that an amazing thing? That God can see into the secret prisons of China and Iran and North Korea to where Christians are being tortured. Christian leaders are being singled out. They're being denied basic human rights and God knows where they are. You know what that also means? That we can never go any place that God doesn't know, but it means that wherever we are, if the door is locked, if the lights are turned off, if we're on the side of the road, wherever it is, God can see that. Not for those of us who claim to be followers of Christ. That is a whack. I mean, that is an incredible wake up call. We understand the, the implication of that, that if God sees everything, that if he 
filled all things. And the picture there is that He completed. It's a completeness. It's a totality. And so the question for us is like, man, maybe I'm saved, um, but has Christ filled my life? Take the preacher part out of it. Jeff Robinson, has Christ filled my life? Are there areas in our lives that do not correspond, that are a disconnect with the gospel? All right, so now we go to verse number 12. And here's what really breaks down to answer the question, uh, who runs the church? Here it is. And he gave apostles and prophets. All right, prophets in this sense are people that God moved upon back in the Old Testament days and God literally spoke through them to where their word through the actual word of God. They talked about how Jesus would come. And the apostles were the ones who saw Jesus and established who Jesus was and what his teachings were. In other words, they spread it out. There are some people today and they call themselves apostles, right? You ever seen that in advertisement? Wouldn't that be weird? Apostle Jeff Robinson. Bishop, Pope, right? There are three senses in the Bible in which the word apostle is used. The first one is used, and the word literally, apostello, means to send. It means one that is sent. And secondly, it's apostles of the early churches, and they sent them on a specific goal, right? Like husbands, your wife says, go to the store and get me some of this, right? And you go, and eight hours later, you can't find it. So you, you come home uh, unfulfilled. So, a person who is sent, a person who is sent by the church specifically, and third, it is used in this sense as a person who Jesus chose to be his apostle, and they were an eyewitness of Jesus. If you know a church leader today, and he claims to be an apostle, ask him the question, say, so, you were there with Jesus? His whole ministry? Man, you, you really... What type of age-diminishing cream do you use? Dude, you're like 2,000 years old. That, but seriously, don't do that. That's, that's, like, that's facetious. But biblically speaking, if you were an apostle, listen, you had to be an eyewitness of the life of Christ. So here's the way that it works. God used prophets to say, hey guys, Messiah is going to come in the future. Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, he came, and then the apostles are like, it's him, it's him. And then today we have something there in verse 11 called evangelists and shepherd teachers or pastors. Pastor, his job is to teach the people how to do the work of the ministry. Now, evangelist, it literally means one who shares the gospel, right? Some of you guys, if you've been in church for a while, you remember back in the 70s, right? Evangelists were known for like really crazy looking suits, right? The big bouffant hairdo, like running all over the place, screaming at people and stuff. You're like, man, evangelists are intense guys. Well, biblically speaking, an evangelist is simply one who shares the gospel. We're all supposed to share the gospel, right? No matter who we are. You know, let me say, Jeff, I'm not really good at sharing the gospel. Well, guess what? It's hard for me too. And if you say, well, because it's hard for me, because it's awkward, therefore I shouldn't do it. That's like me saying, well, mercy is hard for me, so I should never give anyone mercy, right? For the spenders in the house, this is awesome for you because you're like, honey, I don't have the spiritual gift of giving and financial stewardship. So I've got my twin six shooters of credit cards and I'm swiping like crazy because it's hard for me to show restraint. Does that mean she shouldn't show any? See how the argument breaks down after a while. Just because it doesn't come natural to us doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do it. So 
The word here for pastors or shepherds and teachers, it's literally a, a joined section, and it's saying that a pastor is one who teaches. All right? Now, there are some people in Baptist churches who say it's the pastor's job to do all of the teaching, to do all of the visiting, to do all of the witnessing, to do all of the hospital visitation. By the way, just on like a basic common sense perspective that God gave hopefully all of us here in this room, unless you've... Anyway, um, I was going to make a joke about committees, but I'm not. Do you think that one person could do that? Effectively? Seriously. 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 You know, the reasons why a lot of churches get all messed up is because they expect one person to do what's it say there in verse 12. First phrase, check it out. To equip the saints, that means all of us, for the work of the ministry. To equip means to prepare, means to get you ready, means to go to practice, to come out, to be trained like a soldier, like a football player, like a musician, to be ready to do what you need to do. And so if it's my job to teach you guys how to do that, what this is the really cool part, because all of us can do what I can't do by myself. Right? And so on Sundays, we, we, we look at the Bible, we open up the Bible and look at what God has. And through going through the book of Ephesians, you're learning what it means to be a true follower of Christ and to act based upon that. Uh, there are several characteristics of a leader. We're talking about leaders here. Um, Henry Blackaby gives several. A spiritual leader, a godly leader has an absolute sense of urgency. Question, if you want to be in leadership at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, do you have a sense of urgency to see people saved. Is that on your list? Secondly, they have an absolute priority and commitment to prayer. Do you pray? Thirdly, is unconditionally related to Jesus Christ as Lord. That means church, church bylaws and constitution and, and church tradition aside, what does Jesus say? Is that the question that comes to your mind when a proposition is done for like, okay, we need to do this for this local church? Is that the question that crosses your mind? What would Jesus say? What did Jesus say? Fourth, a spiritual, a godly leader is kingdom oriented. That means that they don't look, and by the way, if you're a visitor here today, we do not look at you as perspective givers in the sense that you are, all right, cool. Well, if we can get them to come, then they can like make our numbers bigger and we can have more people sit, right? And so it'll make me feel better about myself. Okay, y'all all right with that? You know, and, and then they can give so we can have more money in our budget and then they can bring, you know. By the way, that is steeped in selfishness. The mark of a true follower of Christ is that we don't look for people to help us. We look for people who we can minister to. That's the whole difference. Do we have a kingdom perspective? Is our goal to increase the size, uh, the, the number of people who come on a Sunday or Wednesday night? Or is our job to say, Jesus, you told us to take the gospel everywhere. That means Franklin County. It means Indicott. It means all the places around here. It means the lake. It means all around the world. So Jesus, if we do that, then we know that you'll bless. But what happens sometimes in churches, we twist it around and we say, okay, what we want is for our local church to grow instead of saying, God, let's get in on your global mission. Number five, dwells with and under Christ absolute spiritual authority and demonstrates this in his life. Are you a person, if you want to be in leadership here, are you a person that when people look at you, they say that person is governed by Christ? They have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Or are they a person who simply comes? 
Number six, must be a person of absolute faith and trust. This means that when something is brought up that the person does not ask, is that in the budget? But they say, well, let's pray and fast and ask God to provide the funds. See the difference? And by the way, if a church has not prayed and fasted over its budget for all spiritual purposes, it's virtually worthless. And here's why. Because if we don't dedicate our work to the Lord, then it's really only going to be our ideas. And I think that God is really looking for places and people that He can show Himself strong in. Do you believe that? To get a group of people and say, you know what, what does God say? And if God really is God, then I'm going to do that. So here's the purpose for the teaching. There in verse number 12, this is in your outline. To prepare Christians for ministry. Also to strengthen the church. There in uh, verse 12 as well. Verse 13, to attain or to reach unity. To increase, in verse 13, in the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 13 as well. To reach Christian maturity. You see, all of this, it's like when you learn things, right? Have you ever done something wrong? All right? And you got like somebody who comes alongside and just says, here's the right way to do it. You're like, oh, I got it now. Awesome. I will do that. And by the way, the word there in verse 13 for uh, mature manhood uh, a lot of us guys, we're not really sure what a man is. Here it is in a word. This is biblical. Um, manhood in a word is responsibility. Amen? Responsibility. Say, God, you, you may be responsible for my family. Let me be responsible for that. Doesn't mean It has nothing to do with how much you can bench press or how, how good you can fight or how much money you make, but am I a person um, who's responsible? And then if we jump over to uh, verse number 14, the result there in verse 14, if we hear the teaching of God's Word, is that we will no longer be children. Alright? You know what a lot of people told me when I came to Rocky Mount Baptist? Seriously, yeah, you guys are thinking it's great. They said, don't, don't make the old people mad. What advice would you give me? Seriously, dude, don't, don't make the old people mad. You know, it was like, it was like, you know, if you make the old people mad, like, you know, going to be going into the parsonage one night, and I'm like, whoa, that's a laser dot scope. You know, get like blown away by the WMU. I was like, what does that mean? You know what happens a lot of times? People, like they've been, some are like, did he just talk about getting assassinated? Yeah. What happens a lot of times is people like, they, they think that age equals spiritual maturity. You know what? It, it, it doesn't. And I'm glad to be full of a church for when I talk to many of our older people, they say, we want to reach younger people. You know what that shows? That shows a commitment to the Gospel. Remember like the guy who told me a couple months ago, he said, well, how's it going? I said, man, it's going really good. And he says, well, it's a Baptist church. Give it a couple weeks. Guess what? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of Christ, we're proving them wrong. Seriously. Let, hey, let's, let's, let's break out of the mold. Like, well, you've got your, your honeymoon period where you like them and they like you. And after that, man, you better put on the, on the mitts and watch for some elbows. And I, that, that is just crazy. To understand, man, when I get saved, it's not about me anymore. And then in verse 14, here's what's going to happen. 
You're not going to be carried about and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by people trying to trick you into what is not true, and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, in verse 15, speaking the truth in love. And the nature of truth and the revelation of truth is that it is with reality. And we speak it in love. We're to grow in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And you say, man, Jeff, that means there in your outline, we're supposed to be no longer children, no longer unstable, no longer gullible. And by the way, if you're one of those people, and and it's been said before that hurt people hurt people, if you've been deeply hurt in your life, you're probably more likely to ask questions like, well, has the the preacher called, have the deacons been by? We're going to try to do ministry as best we can. But like we showed on Wednesday night, you realize the stack of, of visitors cards that we have? Like the people who have come to see us, that's not even counting people who are sick and people who are lost. It's just incredible what God has done. So we're trying to do the best job that we can. But if you've been hurt in your life, I just encourage you to give your heart to Christ in this way. Say, Jeff, man, it seems like when I don't get a lot of attention that I'm not important. Listen, if you gain your self-worth by how many phone calls you get from me or anybody here at this church, you're going to be disappointed because guess what? I'm going to let you down. I'm not going to try. That's why the book of Hebrews said to keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus, who is the what? The author and finisher of our faith. You see, when we look at Jesus, we're never going to be let down. That's why finally in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. What's the last word? In love. It's all about the loving spiritual leadership. If you're here today, Jeff, and you're like, man, Jeff, I, I'm not even saved, bro. I don't even know where I would. If I died right now, I'm very, I, I probably wouldn't go to heaven. Or, and then some of you are like a little bit more honest. You're like, man, I would probably go to hell. I don't know where I would go if I died today. Well, the reason why we even open up the Bible to begin with is because God sent his son Jesus into the world and Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And if you right now today place your faith and trust in him and you turn from your sins, he will forgive you. He'll give you a new heart and he will change your life.